you can't tell somebody to want to become better in in their life if they don't want it. So if they say yes, then the next step is how I begin is, okay, pay attention to your current life. Do an audit of your current life at the emotional level, at the financial level, at the relational level, at the physiological, the psychological. And let's do an inventory to see where you're feeling stuck and where you're losing your temper all the time and where you're feeling fatigued. We need to learn how to practice being conscious to ourselves or being in a position, like you very beautifully put it, to observe ourselves. And that can begin with just watching the habits, right? So in the context of health, what are your daily health habits? How much do you sleep? You might be surprised. A lot of us think we sleep way more than we do, right? In terms of eating, how connected are you to your body's cues of hunger or to satisfaction? Do you know what makes your body feel good when you eat it versus feel bad? There is a potential life that's far easier than the one you might be living. And so if you're listening to this podcast right now, that's a sign that you're looking for something new, that you're wanting to feel better, and you're ready to take the next right action. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and I want to wish you all a happy Labor Day. And you all have seemed to really enjoy the previous masterclasses on the podcast. So today I have another one for you. And in honor of Labor Day, it's going to be focused on work and not just any work. I am talking about doing the inner work so that you can heal from pain and trauma. The discussion today is going to focus around developing self-awareness, healing trauma, boundaries, breaking free from old toxic patterns and creating new healthy ones. To do that, I have three of the best healing experts on the planet to provide insights on these subjects so that you can heal from your past and become your absolute best. You will hear parts of three previously released episodes with Dr. Nicola Para, Dr. Shafali, and Gabby Bernstein. This first part will feature a section from my previous chat with clinical psychologist and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Nicola Para, aka the holistic psychologist. You will hear us chat about why therapy alone won't heal you and why you might get stressed or anxious for no reason. We also discuss self-awareness, understanding what trauma actually is, and how to rewire your brain with healthy patterns and behaviors. We also get into buzzwords such as the ego, boundaries, triggered, and more. So I hope you enjoy this section with me and Dr. Nicole LaPera. So when we talk about holistic psychology, and I think people might misunderstand this or may have misunderstood this in the past, and they may think it means not going to therapy and just doing everything on your own. And I think what you explain is that's not the case. It's in fact, yeah, still go to therapy if you'd like to, but there's other things you need to be doing on a daily basis. So what, what does holistic psychology mean to you and what does it entail for the people that want to partake in it? I appreciate you asking for clarity because I do see the word holistic getting thrown around now very yeah. frequently, but with a lot of differing definitions. So what holistic means to me is honoring the whole self. And again, mm. I am of the belief that we are all in a physical body. So we have the physical self. I agree that we have our emotional center 
as well and a spiritual essence. So what holistic means is honoring the fact that all of those parts of us are in communication with each other. So even the conversation you and I are having, why do we care about the body? How does it connect to the mind? Well, here's why we care. Because our brain, which houses the mind, is in communication with the rest of our body all day long. And it's not just a one-way communication. Our body is in communication with our brain as well. So that's what I mean when I say holistic. It's honoring all of those interacting parts of ourself. And there's another deeper definition. And beginning to explore what for many of us are the underlying causes of our symptoms. Whether you're like me and you're like, yes, I'm an anxious person, or maybe you're depressed, or maybe you struggle in relationships and you feel unfulfilled. I believe that all of those symptoms originate somewhere in some imbalance in that system that was learned usually at some very early time. And here's why I suggest that the work has to go outside of the treatment room. You will never hear me say, don't get support, don't find the therapist, don't have the community. Absolutely. You'll also hear me ask, what happens the other 23 hours of that day, the other however many hours of that week? Because I'm of the belief that there's underlying imbalances that we're living out on repeat, sometimes mm -hmm. unbeknownst to ourselves, outside of what for many of us is a very insightful therapy session or a great talk with our friend where we know what we're going to do differently this next time, yet we can't bridge that gap because those underlying imbalances we carry with us we react from our subconscious and we keep ourselves stuck. So just to be clear, holistic means mind, body, soul, and exploring the very real underlying drivers of a lot of our stuck points in life. I appreciate you saying that. And it's, it's so true as somebody who have, I've been open about my healing journey since I've kind of really started it. And that's the truth. I think you need to do things other than just going to therapy. When I was a kid and when I was a teenager, and I was just talking to a therapist and not moving my body and not taking care of my nutrition and not meditating and not focusing on goals and hanging out with the right people. I suffered because what would I do? I would spend an hour in a therapist's office and be like, all right, good. I'm done. I checked the box and I'll come back next week. My therapist would be like, so what'd you do this week? Did you do anything different? And I'd be like, no. And, and I'd be wondering why I was in the same rut because I think we're, we feel sometimes that our therapist can save us. Our, ther our therapist can fix us and we feel stuck. We literally feel stuck. We feel helpless and we feel disempowered. And I think what I love a lot about this notion you've created in holistic psychology in your work is you give people power because I think once people feel empowered and they're like, okay, this might not be easy. It might be challenging, but it's up to me to do the necessary things to give me a chance to get better. And if I do these things, I'm probably going to feel better than if I do nothing. And before we get into the whole healing and your modalities on kind of rewiring the conditioning and getting unstuck, I want to talk about homeostasis. And this was real time for me. And my, one of the pinnacles of my healing journey was I was remember I was in my therapist's office. This is probably, I don't remember the exact time frame. It was five or six years ago, something like that. And I was successful. I was making good money. I was fit. I hadn't been using drugs. Like life was good, but I kept getting anxious and stressed all the time. And I felt shame because I was like, why am I stressed? My life is great right now. Like, why am I anxious? And I had no idea what was going on. I felt helpless. And I said, why is this happening to me? And I was playing the victim and I kept going in the same cycle. I remember her saying to me, one of the best questions I've ever been asked. She's like, what was your childhood like? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're reverting back to your chaotic childhood, the way you grew up. Your body has this thing called homeostasis. So if your body is conditioned 
to be anxious and to be stressed out, no matter if things are good or not, you're going to always be pulled back there. And it's on you to be aware of that so that you can change. And I swear, even though like I wasn't fixed or healed or I hadn't even made a step in the right direction, I felt so relieved. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is like the answer I've been looking for. This makes sense. Like this makes sense. And it was from that moment on, I started giving myself grace, started giving myself peace and saying, you know what? Like I can move through this and it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility to walk forward in this. So talk about, maybe I butchered the definition of homeostasis. I don't know, but maybe talk about homeostasis and then how it relates to our previous patterns and conditioning and how that can show up with some of our struggles today. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that story. And it, I had a feeling hearing you say that because I think a lot of us do carry a lot of shame, yeah. um, especially those incredible moments of insight, right? Who kind of have the knowing better, right? And can't bridge that into shifting and changing. And very similar to you, where I was in life when my dark night of the soul, right? If you would have looked outside in, you too would have wondered what the hell was wrong with me. <laughs> I had the successful practice. I was, I yeah. can live in any city I want, right? I had the partner. I had all the things. So again, I think a lot of us internalize a lot of shame when we can't piece together actual or maintain deep rooted change. And so there's a very real reason you hear in my work, those who listen, I talk a lot about our physio physiology, right? Right down to how we're evolutionarily wired. Mm. And here's a universe, there's a universal reason why us as humans struggle to change. And it is located in our evolutionary biology because historically that which is new, right? The unexpected back in the days when, you know, our ancestors where there was a threat around every corner when we can't predict what comes next, we could find ourselves in a very physically even unsafe situation. So we are wired around a kind of a familiarity principle. The roads we trudge down, even if they were incredibly uncomfortable as they are for many of us, they are the ones that are familiar to us. We quite simply, we know what happens next. And in our brains, whose main job is to keep us safe from that possible harm around that unknown corner, that is to be avoided. We love those familiar ruts in our mind. So we begin to develop our homeostasis, if you will, very early on in childhood, where many of our environments are drastically different than what they evolved to be in adulthood. Yet that homeostasis is memorized, to put it really simply, in our subconscious. And I, I share a very similar one to you having a lot of stress and anxiety in my childhood, I noticed I would do one of two things. Anytime I would have a moment that was stress-free, say I was either by myself or I was with my partner and nothing was really happening, one of two things would happen to me. Because that was so unfamiliar, my body had gotten so used to the adrenaline and the cortisol with that level of activation that what I began to observe in myself is I would either feel that agitation and have no place for it. I wouldn't know what would cause it. So I would get up and I, I say, I would tick around. I'd clean my apartment. I'd be busying myself moving around, or I would do it interpersonally. Before I knew it, what would come to mind is that look that my partner gave me that morning that, you know what, now that I think about it, isn't sitting so well. And I'd snap my head around and I mean, all jokes aside, now I'm in a conflict and I'm stressed out again. And time and time again, 
that was so confusing to me because all I desperately wanted, if you would have heard me speak, I'm a hippie at heart. I want peace, man. I just want to chill. Yet in that moment of chill, my homeostatic impulse, right? That pull, that, that chill felt so unfamiliar that I created the same stressful situation I was used to. And then if you repeat that by the decades that I was living in that, right? We understand how we remain stuck because stuck for us is familiar. Yeah. And I think our, our past conditioning and past patterning can show up in present day life, like self-sabotage or people pleasing or emotional addiction, which you talk about toxic relationships. And I think that one of the things that's really important for people to know is that maybe there's somebody who has started their healing journey. They're like, you know what? Like I'm aware I've been doing the work to know that it's not easy and why it is a daily practice. Because if you think about it, if you were wired a certain way for just 25 years, for instance, and then you're on your 26th birthday, you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm aware. I've been following the holistic psychologist. I've been reading these books. I need to make a change. And then a week into it, you're noticing some of these patterns try to pull you back to homeostasis. There's probably some people that are like, you know, what the heck? I thought this was supposed to be better. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go back. But I invite you to know that it's a challenge. It's not going to get, it's, you're never totally healed, right? I think in a way, people think that you get to the top of a mountain, you put a stake in the ground and that's it. I think the difference is how you handle situations becomes vastly different. You're more proactive and not emotionally reactive. You're able to have conversations with people you might not agree with. You're able to maybe rekindle things with your family, which I know, Nicole, you have done, you've recently talked about. And I think that's where you're making some progress is you're like, you know what? Like I'm more happy. I'm having better relationships. I'm loving who I am with, without harming myself, whatever the case may be. So I think when people hear the word healing or they hear about doing the work, they think it's people who have had these traumatic experiences growing up. Right. And I honestly misunderstood the term trauma until a few years ago. I thought trauma was just massive chaotic things that happen. And in reality, the more we're, we're learning and coming to find out is that it's not. Trauma can be a lot of different things. Trauma can be if you're bullied at school. Trauma could be going through a, a tough breakup. Trauma can be isolation. It can be addiction. It can be a lot of things. And there's people that might say, well, I don't want to do any work. I don't need to do any work. Life's good. And they might be so unaware that they may have experienced trauma in their life. So how can people, maybe they're questioning after listening to this thing, maybe I have experienced some trauma. Like what are some ways people can know if they've gone through something that maybe has impacted them in a way that's showing up in a negative way today? Yeah. I appreciate you speaking to this because you'll always hear me kind of acknowledge what I believe is, is a need for an expanded definition of trauma. Mm-hmm. Cause I do believe we all carry wounding just from our experiences here in, in earth, often on societies that aren't, natural for us as humans. I mean, everything from the the reality that many of us are living in very loud cities on top of other people with all different type of systemic issues Mm -hmm. happening is very unnatural for us humans. So when I speak about this expanded definition and it catches a lot of people, I know some people are like, well, how can this many people carry trauma? And again, I think it's just a mismatch at its minimum between us and, and the lives we're living. And then obviously, There's many other complications given the actual lived experiences that we have. So I was very similar to a lot of people who I didn't check many boxes of big, bad things that happened to me. I worked in my clinical practice with people who checked 
a lot of boxes of big bad things that happened to them. And I couldn't help but see so many similarities in how we coped with it yeah. or in our patterns and relationships. So for me at first, it was again, another point of shame and confusion. Well, what the heck? I mean, here I am, I'm a doctor and I should know better. And I'm seeing these same patterns in the people that I'm supposed to help who actually had something bad happen to him. What the heck is wrong with me? So when I began to realize all of the other ways that our past hurts can be carried with us, I began to understand that a lot of us are captured into that. And again, the way we can know, some of it's through our recurrent symptoms. Are you stuck only feeling anxious? We're not actually genetically stuck in a feeling as humans. We can return to a baseline. Many of us can't though, based on our earliest experiences. So for some of us, it's that cyclical experience of maybe the same type of thought, the same type of feeling. It might be in those cyclical experiences of relationships that we can't seem to break. Anytime we're struggling to create change, even if we kind of know better or can see a different future based on a different choice, usually is an indicator that something deeper is preventing us from doing that. It's a good place to dive in and, and to look um, at what comes up. Of course. And I think a good thing for people to know is like, like how, what's your life like right now? Are you, how are your relationships? Are your relationships good? Are you feeling good about the person you're with? Are you feeling like you're seen, you're heard, you're valued? Are you feeling the same way at work? Are you feeling that way in your personal life? How are you taking care of your body? Do you find yourself being able to have deep intellectual conversations with people that may not share the same views as you? Are you emotionally reactive? Because that's a pretty good place to start is self-awareness, right? I think a lot of people are listening to this, like, all right, all right, get to the point. Like, how do I rewire my thinking? And it's not as simple as going from A to Z, which is why I love the way you laid out your book where you, you layer it in steps pretty much. It starts with the self and becoming self-aware and then the body and then the ego. And then you talk about interdependence at the end. And, and it's just, it's the way it is. It's, it's got to be layered. In order to know where you're going, you have to figure out where you're at. There's no way to know where you're at until you can develop some sense of self-awareness into where all this is coming from, because you can try to keep putting the bandaid on the problem all you want. And that's what we do, right? In our societies, we're very, very reactive instead of proactive. So what are some ways that people can take a couple steps to become more self-aware that you talk about in your book so that they can start to get on that healing path, that healing journey and start to rewire some of these unhealthy habits? Yeah. I'm smiling. So I'm appreciating you, Doug, being the bearer of that bad news because a lot <laughs> of us very humanly, right? We want to, especially as we become more aware, maybe we do know the thing that hurt us in our past. We want to go in, tinker it, right? Fix it up, sew it up and be better. And again, I'm always the person who's saying, well, wait a minute, right? There's some foundational practices that we have to put in place first. So the, the foundation that we want to build is in a practice of consciousness. We want to how to learn, for many of us, a new practice of teaching ourselves how to be present. So in the context of this conversation, how to be present to our physical body, how to be in it, how to identify what its needs are and how it feels once we attempt to meet those needs. And so many of us are so disconnected from our physical self, from our conscious awareness, that we need to start there. We need to learn how to practice being conscious to ourselves or being in a position, like you very beautifully put it, to observe ourselves. And that can begin with just watching the habits, right? So in the context of health, what are your daily health habits? How much do you sleep? You might be surprised. A lot of us think we sleep way more than we do, right? 
in terms of eating, how connected are you to your body's cues of hunger or to satisfaction? Do you know what makes your body feel good when you eat it versus feel bad? The answer to a lot of these questions for many of us is, I don't know. It was yeah. for me. So foundation of consciousness, learning how to be truly in our bodies is the first step. And for many of us, it's the long-term practice. We have to learn moment to moment how to be present in our bodies so that over time we can continue to meet its ever-changing needs. Why is it so, so important for people when they're experiencing discomfort or unhealthy patterns and behaviors in, in their world today to go back to their childhood specifically and not to just like last week, for instance? Mm -hmm. It's so important because chances are you're repeating that mm. childhood. So I'm a, a great example. And I talk about myself often because I have very limited memory of my childhood. As some of us can play the movie screen, remember what holidays were like day in and day out. I have very minimal of that. So with that said, and I, when I speak about this, it does resonate because a lot of us lack memories for many different reasons. And when I speak about it, the question that often follows, right, is, okay, so I'm a perfect example. I can't really remember. I don't really have access to them. So what does it matter in my life? How important is it? And my response is always some version of the same, which is to acknowledge, even if you don't have the memory, even if I can't see what happened, chances are I'm living it mm. in the way that I navigate that feeling or that conflict in my relationship. Because if a lot of us look back, we see that same pattern. We see the same explosion outward when I have that feeling and or if you're like me, the disconnection or dissociation around it. We see the same patterning. So our childhood, whether or not we can recall it, want to recall it, for a lot of us, it is a painful experience to go back there, which is a large reason why we avoid it. Yeah. We're living it. So what mm. we can see now in our day-to-day -day for many of us is evidence of what happened back then and how we coped with it. And then that creates the opportunity in adulthood, acknowledging that we're limited when we're in childhood. Some of us found ourselves in very unhelpful, unsupportive environments that might be drastically different now. So now in that old space where I used to do that old thing that maybe has its consequences that I've now learned because I've done it year after year after year, I can create a new habit where I cope in a new way. But in my opinion, that repetitive nature, that old way of being likely is still alive in us now. You're right. And I think as we alluded to earlier, it's never truly going to go away. I mean, I think what's going to change and go away is perhaps the way we dealt with that, those patterns and those behaviors. And we can become uh, more conscious of the way we're acting on a day to day basis, more self-aware, and we can take proactive action to enhance the way that we feel about ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. To so say somebody's like, all right, I've, I've identified some patterns. I am aware of where this all came from. What's the next step where someone can maybe move the ball a little bit further? So going back to something we touched on earlier, right? This idea that we don't like change as humans. Yeah. We don't like to do new things. The what happens next and my, my number one suggestion for what happens next, because chances are the more aware we become, the more we assess ourselves in all of these areas, more often than not, we have a list of new <laughs> things, right? It's not just one. Yeah. So here's where I tell you, anything new is going to challenge that homeostatic impulse, that desire mm -hmm. to be back in that familiar. So whatever it is that happens next, take a look at your list. 
right? Prioritize. Possibly for some of us, it's the easiest thing to change, right? The thing that doesn't make my stomach drop out when I think of doing that new thing. Start maybe at the easiest thing. Others might want to pick the most impactful thing, the thing that comes up day in and day out. And if change happened in this area, I'd feel so relieved. However, my suggestion remains the same. Pick one thing. Pick one thing and set what I call a small daily promise each and every day to keep that one promise. Break it down until it's almost so small that you want to roll your eyes at yourself and convince yourself you're not even doing anything. Make that promise so small because what's most important are two things. The consistent keeping of that promise. I think you and I now agree. It's yeah. really about lifestyle change, right? Doing it more often than not to really create the impact, right? So we want to be able to consistently keep that promise. And in doing that, the deeper thing that we're doing is we're reversing what is for many of us, that pattern that we talked about earlier of not serving our needs. I call it a pattern of self-betrayal. The empowerment of witnessing myself now day in and day out, no matter how small it is, keeping my intention to myself, keeping my word, that's, I believe, how we create empowerment. Because over time, now I have a little seed of confidence. I'm not that person who, yeah, sure, you're going to do that thing. You'll do it for two weeks. I'm now a person who's done that thing for two months, whatever thing it is. It's less important about what we're picking. It's more important, in, I, in my opinion, the process. So whatever the list is, break it down, make the, the one promise so small and practice keeping it every day. You're so right. And I, and I relate it back to fitness. If I had a client that says, I want to lose a hundred pounds, I would never say, yeah, just drop all the weight tomorrow. It's the same thing if someone, maybe they have a hundred pounds of mental or emotional weight they have to lose, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But in order to do it, you want to try to lose a couple pounds a week. You don't want to try to lose a hundred pounds of mental weight all at once. So I invite you to take that advice from Nicole and say you have a list of like 10 to 15 things that you become self-aware. Maybe it's like the, the ego stories that you've been telling yourself, which I know Nicole talks about in the book, or maybe it's some trauma bonds you have, which she goes into or relationships or belief about yourself that you're not like, all right, I'm going to go tackle this all tomorrow because you're going to get very overwhelmed very quickly. And I think you're going to end up realizing that you can't do it all at once. It takes a lot of uh, emotional energy and mental energy to do work. And that's why I think it's important to give yourself grace, have some sense of forgiveness and knowing it's not going to be easy. It's not, yeah. but it's definitely going to be worth it. And it's definitely going to allow you to move further in your life. And I think one of the things that people have trouble with when they're on their journey is setting boundaries. So what advice do you have for people starting to set boundaries and what are some simple ways they can do it so it doesn't seem like they're threatening somebody or it's an ultimatum, it's more just a healthy place of where they stand and where they're headed to. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May at Earth Echo Foods. As you know, Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products, which I absolutely love. This includes the newly released Island Bliss, which I take every day in my smoothie along with Cacao Bliss. Island Bliss is loaded with superfoods and is sweet enough to satisfy any sweet tooth. This blend is focused around 12 organic greens to support a gut-nourishing, mood-elevating, energy-increasing, and metabolism-boosting protocol. It also includes their VitaBerry blend, Aquaman, Spectra, Turmeric, topping it all off with a prebiotic and probiotic blend. All of this together makes Island Bliss the easiest way to get nourishing superfoods every single day. 
Much like Cacao Bliss, Island Bliss is the best of the best when it comes to taste, and you will be left craving more. Island Bliss will help elevate your well-being and prepare you for the day ahead. Not only that, it's dairy-free, soy-free, and gluten-free. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, it's earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Island Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, as far as I see it and boundaries, so I just want to be clear, boundaries is not a word I ever learned in my personal life. I actually came to realize I had none. Um, And it's definitely not anything that was really talked about in my clinical work. So I didn't come by boundaries until I really began to look at my patterns and relationships. And what I came to realize how I discovered I had no boundaries is because I had everything I filtered through other people, Mm. right? I never really stopped to define myself, whether it was my physical needs of my body, my emotional needs or my spiritual needs. And that's what a boundary is. It's a separation between me and you, which allows on the back end, because I believe that our goal as humans or our species in general is interpersonal. We're actually wired to be in relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. However, most of us need a level of separation so that we can safely identify and define and begin to meet our own needs so that when we're showing up to our relationships, we're showing up as our whole self our authentic self. I believe that boundaries create safety so that when I show up to my relationships, again, like you very beautifully put it, I'm showing up authentically and wholly. So the way we want to begin to work with boundaries in our life is to explore, to notice how it is for us in relationships, specifically around our needs. Do I feel like I'm able to honor, again, my physical, my spiritual, my emotional body in the context of relating to this other human? Or are you like me? Are those boundaries blurred? Are you filtering everything through like the caregiver in me, what you need as opposed to what I need, even when my needs are different in that moment than what you need me to do, et cetera. So the first process is as always exploring, Mm. being really honest with ourselves and our relationships and how they make us feel and how much space we feel we have for ourselves. And then of course it gets very individual, this next stage of the journey, beginning to define new limits in places that can maybe make my body feel a little more physically safe in the presence of this other human or all other humans. Similar emotionally, how can I learn to meet my own emotional needs? So to be clear, boundaries are separation. They allow us to create safety so that we can more authentically honor our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs, which then set us up to authentically show up for our relationships. That's what a relationship is. When I am a full authentic human that might be different than you in many ways, and there's space for us both. Yeah. You said that incredibly well. And I think the one thing that I'm comfortable with now is is checking my ego. And you talk a lot about the ego. The ego is thrown around a lot these days, right? And a lot of people, when they hear the word ego, they don't want to talk about it because they think of the, the word egotistical. Mm-hmm. right? Which I think resembles some form of arrogance when in the ego, in my experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, its job is to protect your identity in a way. Mm-hmm. So how do you define ego and how can somebody do some proactive work to, to check their ego and be more self-aware of maybe the stories that their ego is telling themselves? 
I really appreciate you clarifying, Doug, because I do see ego getting thrown around hand in hand with this idea of narcissists and all about me. My simple definition of ego is the story about ourselves. Mm. Everything that we imagine us ourselves to be. Are we the shy person? Are we the person who excels in this way? Most things that come after when you hear that little voice in your head, we are self-narrating all day long. We're narrating our own experiences. We're imagining what other people are saying or thinking about us. There's a lot going on in our minds in any given moment. And as we begin to tune in um, to those voices, we begin to hear a lot of stories about ourselves, about who we imagine us to be. And again, for the most part, most of these stories are based in actual things that have happened at a time. However, a lot of us, we, don't, we never update the things that have happened to us and the stories that we're rehearsing, possibly even the beliefs about ourselves might never have been our own or might have been impacted by an experience that is now not what we live on the day to day. However, that voice in our head coming, it's another subconscious filter. Let's talk about it in terms of the RAS that we already just discussed, right? We filter the world through the story of us. And then before we know it, we're so locked in who we think we are often to the disservice of the rest of who we are. So again, as all things, awareness, tuning in. First, uh, a groundbreaking awareness, I think for a lot of us, no jokes aside, me included, is how much we're thinking all day long and how much we're filtering the world through our thoughts. So once you realize that, then we could really get curious. Okay, well, what are the themes in my thoughts? You'll start to realize don't believe me, look at your own mind, listen to your own narratives, we are quite repetitive. And we stay around the same narrative themes. And anytime we're narrating who we think we are, we can really begin to call that into question and to begin to explore whether or not that story still fits, or whether or not we've given ourselves some new experiences or, or can begin to give ourselves some new experiences to begin to create a new story. 100%. And I think it's important for people who are listening to this to know that this is why I think it's so important in the way you layered your book and that ego isn't like the first thing you talked about. Reparenting isn't the first thing you talked about. Inner child, it was belief, mm. like was one of the first things you talked about. Because I believe that if you believe that you are loved, that you believe you are enough, that you believe you are going to get through amazing things, it checks your ego a lot because you don't have that a big, as big of a fear of feeling, maybe you don't feel it like less than you don't feel that someone's better than you. You don't feel like you're going to fail. You don't feel like you're not going to go anywhere in life because you've established this deep self-awareness about the belief of who you truly are. Yeah. So it kind of, it lowers the ego's ability to kind of have a negative impact in your life. Not saying that it won't, because like you said, it's going to always be there, but I think you have the self-awareness to know that it's your ego talking and not who you truly are. I know you make there's like references you make in the book when you start to become more conscious of your thoughts that you're realizing that who was talking before was your self, self subconscious. It wasn't who you truly are or something like that. I mean, I could be getting that yeah. a little bit wrong, but, and I think it's important for people to remember that the more they establish who they are as a person and do the work and establish values, beliefs, and belief in themselves it's not going to matter as much what the next person's doing, or you're not going to be afraid to share your story because you're so you know, confident in who you are as a person. And I think people need to really remember that even if they have um, this sense of fear of failing or this sense of not knowing if they're good enough or this sense of whether they put something out in the world, it's normal to have that fear. 
And I think the way you get through it is knowing that what I'm confident with who I am. This is really scary to do. And I'm going to get through it because I believe enough in myself. I think quite universally, all desperately want to be seen. Yeah. And when we talk about being seen in our authenticity or in our fullness, again, I'm going to venture not to speak for the whole collective. I have the idea that that's very unfamiliar for many yeah. of us. More often than not, we're used to showing half of ourselves or this mm. mask or that role. Yeah. So when we talk about as desperately, so for me, all of this maps out on social media. I had no awareness of how the platform would, would take off. I understand that, well, the way I understand it now is what I'm speaking about is quite universally resonating with people. So there you go. However, I have a deep part of me that as much as I desperately want to be seen for who I am and the thoughts I have and the work that I do, on the other side of that is so much fear because I'm not used to it. I'm used to filtering everything I say, everything I do through the needs of everyone else around me. So again, I think that I love that you're bringing this up because as we begin to step into who we are, again, I think quite universally, it's unfamiliar. We're so not used to it. And with the unfamiliar, like we've kind of talked about all full circle, comes discomfort. It is scary to do that. The way to get there starts with you. It starts with this whole self-healing, which is why I think it's extremely important for people looking to do some work on themselves to know that no one's going to save you. No one's going to fix you. The only person that is, is you. And we've all had unfortunate things that's happened to us on, to some degree. And some have had it obviously way worse. Some have had it better. But I think the common theme is it's on us to move forward and do the things necessary for ourselves so that we can show up better for the world. And I want to kind of end the conversation with something real time now that I think another word that gets thrown around a lot is the word trigger. When you're triggered, it's kind of a exacerbated feeling or emotion in relation to what's presently going on that's caused by something deeper. Like if I, if for some reason, if somebody says they're going to call me and I'm just making this up as an example, if somebody says they're going to call me, they don't call me and I get triggered and I get upset and I get anxious it's my intense feelings aren't directly related to this circumstance. It's more that maybe something in my childhood, maybe somebody said they would pick me up and never showed up. Maybe somebody said they would take me somewhere and never showed up. And that's where it's coming from. Am I correct? Yes. I actually have chills thinking about it because it is a big reaction and I want to kind of acknowledge and honor the realness of it. Because yeah. I think a lot of times when that word gets thrown around, it can sometimes be heard as an invalidation. Oh, you're just trying to just yeah. get over it. It's yeah, yeah. crazy reaction. I want to honor that it's real. Yeah. That did come from somewhere, possibly from that time you were left or felt similarly in the past or disempowered, X, Y, Z, the list goes on. It's real. However, the goal in life now is to become aware and to shift right, how we navigate those moments of activation. Because even just knowing that that thing triggers me doesn't, like we said earlier, change. It. Yeah. That's in my subconscious. The next time that thing happens... I'm off to that race of whatever it is I do every time that thing happens. So this is where we want to cultivate a new relationship with the very real energies and feelings and hormones that then get activated when we're quote unquote triggered. You're right. And I think it's important for people to, to know that when they're experiencing this, yeah, it's definitely real. And the more self-awareness you practice and the further along you are on your healing journey, you'll be able to know better like where it's coming from, I think. You'll be able to quickly realize, oh, this is because of X, Y, and Z. Now I can work on the solution. And the solution is some self-soothing practices, breath work, meditation, going for a run, doing exercise. 
And then you can kind of, the pain subsides and then you kind of move on. And then what happens? You gain confidence because you're like, wow, I didn't snap or I didn't, I didn't go for a drink or I didn't go and emotionally dump on someone. I actually took the power back and acknowledged that what I was going through and then moved through it in a healthy way. And then what happens? Now you create new neural pathways. You create new patterns, new habits. And then if you do that over time, you'll look back and you won't even realize as much that you're being triggered. You'll just be like, oh, that, that upset me. And then you just yeah. kind of, you go and do something, you, you change your mind and, and it happens. And so I, I want to kind of close with this before I ask you my last question is that I cannot emphasize enough and just echoing what Nicole said, the importance of working on yourself first and doing things um, the right way, meaning like not trying to solve a lifetime problem in a matter of seconds or in a matter of days or in a matter of weeks, it's going to be a journey. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be a lot of challenges. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it. And if anyone's going to do it, it's got to be up to you. And I invite people that if they are in therapy, that to obviously continue to stay in therapy, but, that, but adopt some other practices in your daily rituals that will help you navigate this storm of healing because it's not something that's easy. And at the same time, the growth that comes from it is insurmountable. You cannot put a dollar amount on the feelings and the relationships and the, the pride, if you will, that comes from doing the work and owning your stuff and saying, you know what, I'm not proud of some of the stuff I've done or I'm not proud of the way someone's treated me, but I'm proud of the way I'm handling it now. Yeah, I think at our core, us humans are what I call agenic beings. We like choice. We yeah. want choice. And when we don't feel we have choice, as many of us don't, because we're living from that subconscious autopilot that is dictating our choices, disempowerment is really deeply uncomfortable. So even if the choices that we continue to make are difficult as we journey about the rest of our lives, knowing that we have a say is everything I believe for us humans. That empowerment piece is, is what this journey is about, regardless of the pathway that got us here and the pathway that will continue um, to walk as we continue to heal. I think at our core, when we begin to internalize that feeling of empowerment, which starts very small yeah. and then grows, that's what my ultimate goal here is. In this next section, you will hear from clinical psychologist and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Shafali. We will discuss her best practices for healing, including a step-by-step -step process on how to develop self-awareness around unhealthy patterns and create new healthy ones. Dr. Shafali explains how to actually know if you are healing, and we also chat about boundaries, how to get out of the victim mindset, and more. So hopefully you enjoy this next part with me and Dr. Shafali. And I know patterns and behaviors and transformation is a big part of your newest book, A Radical Awakening, which I really enjoyed. And there was, there was something in there that stuck with me. And I was like, this is how I'm going to open our conversation. And you said something like, we don't live a life, we live a pattern. And I think that's a, a great place for us to kind of open our conversation because it honestly sets up like the foundation for your entire book, if you will, when you talk about going from survival mode to becoming awake and going into the light. So what did you mean by that, by that quote? So we don't realize it, but most of us are very drawn toward and create uh, situations in our life that 
induce us to act or feel in the same way we did as children. Mm. We think it's the boss or the child or the traffic jam, but it is really a repetition of the emotional patterns, our emotional experiences that we were just so conditioned to experience as children. That's what we set up in new realities. And we think it's the new reality, but it isn't. It's a repetition of that same emotional experience. Yeah, and, and I, I think from what I understand is that a lot of the experiences and patterns we develop as, as a child obviously is what transpires into our day-to-day life as an adult. But I think what happens is we're so I mean, just narrow-minded and we're unaware of what's even going on that we just are just thinking so in the here and now and in the present moment that we just think consciously that whatever we're going through is just a direct result, like you said, of the traffic jam, or maybe it's a bad email or you go through a breakup or whatever it is, but we're so unaware of what's going on that I think many people just never get better because they don't, they're, they just don't, I don't think they have the ability to understand what's going on inside of them from a biological level, from a physiological level to start to do the work to unpack a lot of that. So what are some of the the steps that you have your clients take or that you advise someone to take to begin to become aware of those patterns and then change them to get better. Right. So what you said is that most people are in the here and now just reacting to life, but actually they're not in the here and now Mm. because they're actually just blindly robotically reacting to life. So they're actually not here and now Mm. when we are here and now is is that state is a very deeply aware and attuned state of our projections onto the present moment, our our co-creation of the present moment, and our internal feelings in the present moment. So we're actually not in the here and now. Most of us are actually disconnected to our presence in the here and now. We're just blindly reacting to the outer world and the outer situation based on past impulses, past feelings of lack, insecurity, and unworthiness. So if we are at a party and someone comes to us and says, you know what, that dress looks like it's a secondhand dress or whatever, something stupid, or that dress doesn't really fit you well. To be in the here and now means to understand that our feelings about her comment, that person's comment has nothing to do with what is happening right now, but all to do with the past. So to be in the here and now is to be aware, oh, I'm having feelings about what this woman is saying, but obviously I don't even know this woman, so it can't be really about her because she's reacting to me based on herself. So if I'm reacting to her, obviously it has to do with the past. So to be aware that when we are reacting to things in the present moment, most of it is coming from the past. Now that is true awareness. And most of us are not aware of that energy that we bring to any situation. Right. You did bring up a good point. So I guess to piggyback off that, so most of us are living in the subconscious or unconscious, I guess, if you will. I mean, I guess unconscious means you're asleep. So you're not like aware. So I guess that's what you mean by that. And that we're not fully capable of changing what's going on because we don't have a a basic understanding of actually the fact that we are in those past moments and then we're not in the here and now. So with that said, what are some steps that somebody could take? Say somebody's listening to this 
and their life is falling apart. Or maybe somebody's listening to this and you're like, you know what? Like, I just want to better myself. I want to start to understand more of why I'm acting the way I am today. How can people start to unpack their past patterns and so that they can move from that state of, from the subconscious into a level of consciousness to, to improve their life? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a many layered journey. And the first step begins with, are you willing to become a seeker of your reality? Or are you going to just stay the same? Mm. First, there has to be an element of wanting it, right? You can't tell somebody to want to become better in, in their life if they don't want it. So if they say yes, then the next step is how I begin is, okay, pay attention to your current life. Do an audit of your current life at the emotional level, at the financial level, at the relational level, at the physiological, the psychological. And let's do an inventory to see where you're feeling stuck and where you're losing your temper all the time and where you're feeling fatigued. And when we kind of lay it all out there in an analysis, we get to see, wow, I'm chaotic here. I'm really fatigued there. I'm exhausted here. Now we begin to ask, well, why? That's what a seeker does. A seeker does, doesn't take things for granted and blame other people. A seeker says, what am I doing based on my past that is causing this current repetition of emotionality? What am I bringing to the situation right now? So a seeker first has to decide they want to be a seeker because it's not easy to be a seeker. And the second step that the seeker does is uncover what is going on beneath the surface of their life. And that occurs through an inventory, through an audit, through a processing. And they have to kind of get help. Just like the ultimate doctor heals the, the broken bones, in the same way, the, the ultimate solution for the broken inner being is go and seek help from a coach or a therapist. You have to get that help. So we talked about, like for number one, making that choice to wanting to get better and then trying to identify some patterns. Like after we identify patterns, what can somebody do? Like, what are some things that you use with your clients or even in your own personal journey to help kind of navigate them on a path of healing and personal growth so that they can have a better relationship with themselves and others? Well, then the next step is how to integrate the intellectual awareness that you are now with these patterns and how they're showing up in the present moment. Mm. So it requires us to pay attention pay attention to how your jaw is clenching, to how your chest is agitating, to how exhausted you are, to how you're cursing, how you're raising your voice. All these are signs and symptoms of old patterns. And we need to be awake in the present moment to go, oh my goodness, that's my pattern. Here I am again. And then we have to execute the pause, right? The sacred pause where before we react and jump into the cycle of the pattern, we take a step back and disrupt the pattern. So life then becomes moments of disruption rather than just us entering the roller coaster of this spiraling chaotic emotionality where we create more mess ups in our lives. So mindfulness, being in the present moment, being aware and awake and focused to our life is key. You can't yeah. live your life asleep and expect to be liberated and authentic. You just can't. Right. And I, and I know that self-awareness is like a big foundation of your book. Like I was saying earlier in our conversation. And as we get into the part where you talk about coming into the light, like being awake, like before we get, you know, before you talked about accountability, sovereignty, boundaries, detachment, you talked about self-awareness because 
in order to hold yourself accountable, you have to be aware of what you're holding yourself accountable for. In order to set a boundary, you need to be aware of what it is in your life, whether it's with yourself or somebody else, where the boundary has, has either been broken or maybe you need to build a new one and why you're building that boundary. And, and boundaries are tough. And I think it's easy. Well, it's, it's not easy to set a boundary, but I think the easier part is, is setting the boundary. I think where it becomes challenging is holding the boundary. So what are some of your best practices either for yourself or for the people that you coach to, to set healthy boundaries? And then also on the other side, be able to uphold them when things get tough so that they can stay true to themselves. Right. The reason why we don't uphold the boundary is because we haven't created that boundary out of a a growth. We've created the boundary out of a reaction, Mm. out of a a knee-jerk situation, uh, and it hasn't come from a true alignment. So that's why we talk about really gauging the situation, really understanding our patterns, and really emerging into a state of true consciousness when we create a boundary. Otherwise, the boundary is just going to be momentary. So if you create a boundary in your life, that okay, that's it. I'm never going to eat cookies again. Okay, and it's going to go away within two minutes. That's why New Year's resolutions fade away because you're creating boundaries out of reactivity, out of an artificial external stimulation rather than a deep inner growth experience that, you know what? Cookies are a true sign of disrespect to me and I'm going to really start respecting my body. And it's coming from that deep internal decision where you have chosen to treat yourself differently. And it means something very significant to you to go against that. It has to come from your own deep internal decision rather than a superficial reactive, you know, it's New Year's, so I'm going to create a New Year's resolution kind of attitude. You're right. I mean, I'm a trainer, so I see this all the time where people have just had enough of themselves of themselves, and they they reach this low point. They're like, that's it. I'm going back on a diet. I'm starting my New Year's resolution. And then you're in a, a, a low place of self-esteem. And so your ability, I think, to overcome that is less because you start off and then you're just not feeling great about yourself anyway. And then now you throw in more restrictions into your life and you're going to feel even less about yourself. Whereas if you do it the other way and you feel empowered and you have a deep reason behind why you're not going to eat that cookie, like maybe it's self-love, maybe it's prevent yourself from disease, whatever it is. Now you feel better because you know, you're going somewhere like in, in the right direction. Yeah. Whenever we make boundaries out of fear or, Uh, a knee-jerk, angry reaction, they will never last. Mm. Uh, The only way I've seen boundaries last is because we've reached a non-negotiability of them in our lives. Like we've reached a a tipping point where we simply cannot do it anymore. And those are the healthiest, longest-lasting boundaries where it really has deep meaning for you. You know, we cannot create boundaries because other people are doing things or they're in trend or, or because you need something superficial in your life. They can only truly stick when you've made a true lifelong commitment that you will not allow someone to talk to you in a certain way or that you, you will not allow these foods to go into your body or that you will truly preserve your dignity in these ways. You're making a commitment to yourself. We believe that the boundary is for the outside, but it's not. It's a boundary against our old patterns where we have come to a realization that our old pattern 
is really damaging us. And we need to say goodbye to that old part of ourselves. And that's what the boundary is against. It's against our own lethargy or our own procrastination or our own sabotage. It's against ourselves. You know, and that's why we don't create boundaries well, because we think we're going to hurt other people. It has nothing to do with other people. It has to do with the part within ourselves that creates dysfunction in our own life. That's the key. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people correlate boundaries with a level of selfishness, because especially when it comes to maybe like, we'll just talk family dynamics. That's an easy one, because there's a lot of people that, for instance, don't want to spend as much time with their families as maybe other people do, or as much as the other person in their family wants them to. And you'll hear people say, you're just being selfish. Like, why won't you come out for dinner? Why won't you come out for lunch? Like, what do you mean? You got to take care of yourself. So, and I think, I mean, this is my experience that there has to also be a level of not compromise. That's not the right word, but just you got to, I think, be able to step out into a level of growth and spend some time with family where maybe it's as long as it's not like an abusive situation and you're not just in your house by yourself, kind of hiding from the world. So how can somebody know that if they're stepping into a healthy boundary with somebody like their family versus them just hiding and not wanting to deal with a lot of the problems that have come from that? So this is a very common thing. I'm so glad you brought it up because many people think they're creating healthy boundaries, but they're just avoiding reality. Yes. Well, guess what? When they create healthy boundaries from that space of avoidance, like quote unquote healthy boundaries, but they're actually avoiding, they will have to contend with that because there will be another fallout. You know, they will ultimately have to realize that they've just been isolating themselves and their life will break down in some other way right? Maybe they didn't see grandma because they created a healthy boundary, but, but they, they lost in some other way. I've had people who have shut me out of their lives with the ruse, with the language that they're creating a healthy boundary, but I could just tell that they just didn't want to confront the reality of what I was telling them. Right. So they stopped talking to me, right? They've shut down. So how can they tell? Well, you know, when they wake up, they'll be able to tell. It's very hard to tell that person that, hey, you're just running away. Right. Mm. So, for example, if somebody steals from you and you tell them, hey, why are you stealing? And then they go, you know what? I need to create a healthy boundary and not talk to you. (laughs) That's just complete bullshit. Right. Right. So we can't tell people they have to figure it out for themselves. But let's be honest with our own selves, at least, and always check within ourselves. Am I avoiding the truth or am I truly staying away from this person because they are toxic? Am I toxic? And therefore I'm avoiding them or are they toxic? Therefore I'm avoiding them. And so I think one of the things that people struggle with though, when they're healing is knowing if they're actually healing. Like, cause I think what happens when somebody's making a transformation is our ability to keep going. Again, and just in my experience is seeing like these small wins and knowing that we're making progress. But I think when we're caught in this whirlwind of healing at times, which can be very overwhelming, how can somebody develop the awareness or how can somebody be mindful that they're actually going in the right direction? Cause you hear this question a lot. Like, I don't know if I'm actually getting anywhere. Am I actually healing? Like, what are some signs of that? 
Oh my goodness, you, it's very clear when you're healing. You are more centered, less reactive, more energetic, more courageous. You take more risks. You, you, you live in a more liberated way because healing means that you're taking care of your inner wounds, mm. which means that you're going to be pricked less by the external world. You're calmer, you're gentler, you're more compassionate because you're not being prickled as you used to be because your inner wounds are now closing up. You're healing. So just like a real wound on the body heals, how do you know it? Because if you touch that old place, it doesn't hurt anymore. In the same way, you're like, damn, I haven't lost my temper for 15 days. Nobody's upset me. It's not because they're not obnoxious people out there like they used to be. It's because you are integrated and whole inside. So nobody can touch you the same way. Yeah. No, you're right. I think, but again, I think what, one of the things that sticks out to me is the ability to be self-aware of what helps you start your healing process in the first place. And then I think based on the practices of, of mindfulness, meditation, exercise, therapy, where you feel more connected to yourself, you develop more self-awareness around yourself that when you are healing, just naturally, you'll feel more self-aware and you'll start to notice these things, which is why it's so important to develop this self-awareness at the beginning and say, hey, I need some help. I want to better my life. I want to start to work through some of the stuff I haven't worked through because I'm honestly just sick and tired of it. And I want to start to change the game. And I think that once people can see progress, that they are less reactive that they are healing relationships, that they're getting along better with people. They're like, oh, like, I want to do more of this. And then it's going to encourage them to maybe unpack other areas of their lives. And then, and then you get to a place where you can set healthy boundaries because you're able to, you're, you're at a place where you can feel comfortable being held accountable, which I know you talk a lot about, which is probably the, one of the hardest things for people is to be held accountable. Why do you think that is, by the way? Well, because we don't want to grow up and take responsibility for our co-creation, right? We don't want to see our part in anything. We only want to do the blame game, blame the other, or we blame ourselves. Blaming ourselves is not accountability. It's just blaming ourselves and entering yeah. another spiral of guilt and shame. True accountability is self-responsibility. Yeah. And I, and I think for one of the things that I think about when you talk about blaming yourself is the victim mindset. And I think the victim mentality can be a massive addiction because it's easy to blame other people for your problems. It's easy to blame the world. It's easy to blame the environment. It's easy to blame everything. And while I acknowledge that a lot of what happens around us is extremely unfortunate, just is the reality of it is that we can't change it. We cannot change it. And, and, but we, we, we feel like we have to be able to control everything. We want to be able to control what happened in the past. We want to be able to control what happens in the future. And as a result, we just stay stuck and, and almost just helpless in that state of victimization because now it's like, okay, well, I, I can't control what's going on in front of me and I can't change what happened behind me. So I might as well not take a chance because that's really scary. So what, what advice do you have for somebody who's spiraling in that victim mentality that is just so terrified of making a change because of the lack of control, and they're just so afraid of, of moving forward based on the mistakes they've made in their past? Yeah, so victim consciousness can become a real quicksand and a stuck place where people are now 
so afraid of taking charge of their lives because it went so wrong in the past. So we have to have compassion for them, but also help them understand that this is a way, this blame game is a way of really not moving forward in your own life. And, you know, it's their little inner child that's so scared that they, they're just using this blame as a defense to keep themselves small and stuck. So in a way, they are actually doing what the perpetrator wanted them to do, which is stay small. And right. in order to take their power back, they need to take the blame back. And therefore, the, the victim consciousness person needs to become a victor consciousness person. Ultimate, ultimate power is not to blame another. Ultimate power is to take the blame away from the other so the other has no power over you at all. In this final part, it's going to feature a section from a previous episode with thought leader, personal development, powerhouse, and New York Times bestselling author, Gabby Bernstein. We discuss different parts of Gabby's story, including some of her more recent struggles and how she overcame them. Gabby and I chat about how she deals with uncertainty, and our convo also dovetails into a step-by-step process on how to shift negative thinking and create new belief systems. We also discuss how to align with your highest self and what you really must do to manifest what you want in life and more. So hopefully you enjoy this next part with me and Gabby Bernstein. Has there been a time maybe in recent years where you've had to kind of let go of a little bit of like selfishness or wanting more for yourself and which has held you back from deepening relationships with people close to you? Oh yeah. I think that the key to a lot of my successes in life has been my commitment to wanting others to thrive. Mm. And the reason, there's two reasons. One, whenever you're in the devotional service of others, you're going to feel a swell of energy behind you. You're always going to be supported. The universe will have your back because it's a we energy, not a me energy. And that, that doesn't mean that you don't have your own aspirations and goals and visions for yourself and that you don't show up for yourself and have high expectations for what you can create, but that you're in the pursuit of giving and serving and connecting and collaborating. The other element of why that's been an energy of success for me in my life is because I don't compare myself to others 90% of the time. Maybe there's a 10% of like a lingering moment here and there, or a 5% even of a lingering moment. So I got to be to- totally honest. I'm sure there's been times, there have been times where I'd be like, oh, you know, so-and-so did that thing. I wish I should, you know, whatever. But for the most part, it's pretty much wanting more for others. And knowing that when you're in that energy of wanting more for for others, it actually is an abundant energy and ultimately creates an energetic state where you become so much more receptive for attracting what you want as well. So, because let's just put it simply, when you want more for others, it feels good. And the key to manifesting and attracting into your own life is to feel good. When you're jealous and you're comparing, it feels like shit. So that ain't going to work. Yeah. And what's really interesting about all of that is I know you've talked about how you've climbed many emotional mountains in your life and some more recently than others. And I think one of the biggest ones that seemed happened not too long ago, it was like at the beginning of COVID, I think, where you felt this lack of control, you felt kind of uncertain because of everything that had happened and you lost your ability to speak on stage. And I think you then went and said, how can I serve others? And you started this 
Dear Gabby on Instagram originally. I remember you it was originally on your phone, and then it transitioned more into this thing where you had people hop on a Zoom, and then it, now it's a podcast. So what I want to go into now is like you, you've talked about this emotional mountain before, and you've and you've mentioned that you know one of your biggest gifts is how vulnerable you are. So what was going on with this emotional mountain? I think you were in a place where you just were continuing to feel unsafe. You were feeling lack of control. And I think you just kind of had enough and there was this massive breakthrough you had. So talk about like what prompted that and how did you, how did you get through it? I think all of us went through an emotional mountain and potential breakthrough during the early days of COVID. And for me, it was lots of team members no longer wanting to work with me, people I'd worked with for a decade, just parting ways. The universe doing for me what I couldn't do for myself, dismantling things, because often when things get dismantled, it's because you're meant to rebuild. So as you mentioned, the stage taken away, right? Nobody could go live. There was no more live, live audiences. I was doing all my talks on Zoom. It was really awkward. And then of course, all the stressors of running a business and being a human at a time when we are in this global traumatic event. So we all went through this. For me, I, like everyone, was flailing for the first month or so, trying to control things, trying to make everything work way one way that I should, dealing with the team changes, now moving into big, you know, staffing up and hiring new people. So I had to really turn inward and say, what, what is of my highest and best? How can I show up in a way that's going to have an impact? How can I serve at my highest capacity? And that was when I heard my inner voice, my inner wisdom, my intuition say to me, get online, just get on, get on Instagram. And I started using my live platform to workshop people and help people. And to this exact card that we pulled, wanting more for others puts me into an energy of abundance. Every Wednesday, I went live on Instagram for an entire year, and I continue to because I record then my podcast. But I every week I'd go live doing Dear Gabby live for an hour with a community that we built together. This community that continued to grow, and the energy of abundance. And when I say abundance, I mean joy, exhilaration, service, fulfillment, purpose was so high vibe because. I was able to show up every Wednesday and help people and feel connected and tell the truth and feel that relationship that we were all longing for. And so that turned into the next phase of my career, which was to create this podcast, Dear Gabby. And I think that all great things are created out of service and love. And in this instance, it was, and joy, truly. And it was just, it, 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 creating the show is the biggest joy. It's amazing when some of our deepest and darkest pains become part of our biggest blessings and, and purpose, right? With with the show that you've created. And it seems like I know when you were younger, you were like a youth leader for the religious establishment you were going to. And you always had this knack, I think, for just leading others spiritually. And then obviously you went through so many other challenges in your life that have helped you build strength, uh, gain wisdom and understanding for so many other people that have now led you to where you are today. And something that we both have in common is we both have had our battles with addiction. And ironically enough, we both got into recovery in the month of October. So you've done so much work on yourself, so much healing, so much spiritual growth, so much professional and personal development. Have you been able to, to go back now and look at like when you were using and when you were in the thick of your addiction, like what caused a lot of that? Well, I wasn't able to understand it when I first got clean and sober. I was like, why did I, why was I an addict? I don't understand. I had this story of my life that was really a 
picture I had painted that seemed pretty good. Only until I was 36, when I continued to crack open, crack open, crack open through anxiety attacks, panic attacks, physical somatic issues, where I was really cracking into a dissociated memory. And so often when you dissociate from a traumatic event from your childhood, you build up a story that looks really good on the outside. And that story becomes the, oh, that's my life, like the the pretty picture I've painted. But at 36 years old, I remembered events from my childhood that created trauma in my body, in my brain, and my nervous system. And that that moment of recognizing and remembering the trauma was also the moment when I understood why I used. Because I literally remember saying out loud, oh, that's why I was a drug addict. That's what I was running from. We're always at it. I think most addicts are traumatized individuals. Agreed. I can pretty much safely say that hands down. doesn't matter if it's trauma with a big T or trauma with a small T. We as addicts have experienced events in our life that have caused emotional disturbances that affect our nervous system, affect our brain, affect our coping mechanisms, leave us in a place of hypervigilance and high alert. And what are we left to do? We want to anesthetize. We want to numb out. We want to get out of that feeling of constant terror and constant pain and shame and suffering. And we use over it. And so anyone that's struggling with addiction right now, my God, give yourself a hug. Mm. Anyone that's sober, give yourself a hug. It's, it's, there's a reason that we use. It's not like, oh, we were just bad people or, or we're something to be ashamed of. No, recognizing your addiction is something to be extraordinarily proud of because it means that you're committed to getting better and you're committed to healing the core wounds that got you there in the first place. One of the best descriptions of addiction that I've ever heard is that it's an internal battle that's displayed externally and that so many people are hurting inside. And as a result um, of that, their decisions, their behaviors, the way they carry themselves reflects that. And so I know like one of the main things or a big contributing thing to like many of your addictions, whether it be the workaholism or drug addiction has been this lack feeling of, 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 of less than or not enough or feeling out of control. And it's led down some, some tough paths for you. But I think on the flip side, you've been able to turn a lot of that around. And now you've obviously created something incredibly inspirational. So how do you deal with a lack of control now? Like, What are some things that Gabby Bernstein does when she's feeling fearful or feeling uncertain or feeling like a lack of control? I've been uh, practicing in my own therapy with my therapist for eight years now, a a practice called internal family systems therapy. And in the fall, I've been accepted to their level one training. So I'm going in to get trained in this process. I'm going to bring it into the way that I lead my team, the way that I teach, the way that I'll write a book on it. And it's a transformational therapeutic process of really getting into a relationship with your adult resourced self, self with a capital S, the part of us that is all knowing the part of us that can show up for our kids when we're in our highest and best, the part of us that is an adult, really, right? But we also have all these other multiple parts of ourselves, the addict, the child parts that are wounded and traumatized, the controller, I call mine. Uh, And these different roles are either exiled parts of us that we don't want to talk about 
or protector parts that are trying to manage our life. And so whenever I notice myself in an in a addictive pattern, I'm like, oh, who is that protector right there? And I get curious about it. And then I now have deepened this relationship to that source of self within me, the adult within me, so that when I notice myself activated, I can use a mir- one of my myriad of tools that I have in my nine books you know, and resource myself in the moment. And that ability to resource myself is what keeps me clean and sober, is what keeps me out of chronic stress. It keeps me from having panic. It, it keeps me centered. It allows me to live a sustainable, happy life. And that's the gig, right? It's learning about all the parts of us that are wounded and, and trying to protect ourselves and establishing this very strong relationship with the adult resource part of ourselves. And then the moments when we see ourselves activated, letting that self-energy bring us back to safety. That's a lot right there that I just said, trying to simplify an entire therapeutic process in five minutes. But, and I'll write a book about it so everybody relax. <laughs> um, and if you want to know more about IFS, you can go to uh, internalfamilysystems.org, I believe is the website. We can confirm that. It's the work of Dick Schwartz. But the main message is just getting into a greater relationship with what some spiritual people might call God, or you in IFS would call self, or you can call it inner wisdom, but strengthening that relationship to the resourced parts of yourself is what helps you get out of that anxiety and that that fear and that tension. Yeah. You and I share something, another thing that's similar, and that's kind of how we both talk about how to get out of a negative belief or a rut. And I know you call it the choose again method, where essentially you you become aware of whatever the thought or the pattern is, then you forgive yourself for it. Like you don't shame yourself and then you take action with a better option. Right. And I call mine like awareness, like having the awareness on how you're feeling acceptance, like, like knowing that it's, it's part of life to feel depressed at times. It's part of life to feel anxious and then action, like making a, a decision that's going to make you feel better. That's aligned with the highest version of yourself. So when I was doing research on you and I, and I read that, I was like, wow, that's, that's so interesting that we have that in common. So with that said, like I want to talk about that a little bit more because I think what really drags people down is the negative beliefs that they've created in themselves. Like they're not enough or they're ugly or they're a piece of crap. And there's so many people that are listening to this that are constantly dealing with negative self-talk. So if you could go a little bit deeper into the protocol that you use so that if somebody listening to this is just struggling to get out of that negative self-talk rut, what they can do. Well, I love your three A's. That's awesome. (laughs) So good. But yeah, it's very similar to what you're suggesting. It's we have all these beliefs. And as Abraham Hicks, the spiritual teacher say, a belief is just a thought that we keep thinking. And so when we have these traumatic events in our childhood or emotional disturbances, they ignite a belief. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy of love. I'm faulted in some way. I'm, I'm not good enough, period. And we reiterate those belief systems in so many different areas of our life. And so when we notice that we have that thought on repeat, it becomes a belief. The way to deactivate that belief is to step one, this is what I call the choose again method. Step one, notice that fear-based belief system, that thought that keeps repeating itself and notice how it makes you feel. So in the moment, notice it and notice how it makes you feel. And then the second step is to forgive yourself for having the thought. Because when you forgive yourself, it's very much like what you said with acceptance. It's saying, oh, there's that thought again, but that thought isn't who I am. That's just a thought that I keep thinking. It makes it 
no longer about you. It, it separates you from the belief. It shows you that it's just a thought that you've been thinking. So you forgive yourself for having that thought. You get into acceptance and you can say, I'm not that thought. And then the third step is to choose again, which is very actionable, similar to your method. And it starts to reach for the next best feeling thought. So you're starting to reach for a thought that feels better. And a thought that feels better could be, you know, wow, I had a nice coffee this morning or just reaching for anything that's better than where you were. And then continuously guiding your thoughts out of that negative space into the next positive thought to the next positive thought, the next positive thought. So you can start to think your way out and choose again. That's the method. Yeah. It's, it's so spot on the way you do that, because I think what happens is our perception of ourselves becomes hijacked based on the lies that other people tell us that we start to believe over time. So for somebody who was bullied in school and we were told we were ugly or that we're a piece of junk or whatever it was, and then sure enough, we start to, to believe that and say, well, maybe that is true. And then if you start to believe that, then how are you going to feel? You're going to feel like crap. And then you're going to start to make decisions that are aligned with the lowest version of yourself. And I think there's this myth out there when it comes to, to manifesting that essentially people just feel, I think at times they can just manifest anything whenever they want. And I know you kind of, I guess, disagree in that to manifest, you have to feel good. Like you can't yes. just be in this super low place in your life and be like, oh, I'm going to manifest my ideal soulmate. I'm going to manifest a million dollars. I'm going to manifest this. So talk about manifesting in your understanding. And if somebody listening to this is really looking to want to manifest something magical in their life, how can they go about doing that? Beautiful question. So manifesting is really all about feeling good to exactly what you said. The secret to manifesting is to feel good because when you feel good, your energy is really vibrant. You bring a high vibe to your relationships. You have inspired ideas. You're physically more well because your thoughts inform every part of you from the every molecule of your being. So feeling good results in attracting more period so we think oh you know i can just get that thing or the more i think about it the more i talk about it the harder i work the more i push the more i'll get uh, no that's not how it works <laughs> it's the better i feel the more i'll receive i often say do less and attract more so it's not so it's not that we don't do things it's not like we don't write the book or start the podcast or pick up the phone and ask the guy on the date. It's not that we don't take action, but we take action from a place of positive energy. And so that's why I love, you know, you, you, you are, you know, have your three A's. The third one is action, but that action is coming from a high vibe place. So you can trust that whatever actions you're taking are backed with a good feeling vibration. And when your actions are backed with good vibes, that's when you're co-creating. That's when you're manifesting. That's when you're bringing energy to what it is that you desire and creating the life that you want. So we all have the power to create the world that we want to see, but we have to do it from a place of joy. We have to have a great level of patience and surrender and acceptance because sometimes our manifestations may not happen on the timeline or in the exact way that we thought, but they often come when and in a way that are far better than what we could have ever imagined. So we got to do our part to stay in a good vibe, be patient and show up. I know something that's really big for you in your life and that you talk about in your content is feeling aligned. Mm -hmm. And there's been times where you share where you've been unaligned and you've had to kind of check yourself and, and go back within and, and try to figure out like how you can get back on the path. 
But I think part of the problem is people really don't know that they're unaligned. They're just kind of mm-hmm. like running through life, like kind of with just just in the dark, right? They can't even see mm-hmm. in front of them because they're just they're in survival mode. So how can yes. somebody know if they're they're misaligned, and what are some steps that they can take to kind of get back into alignment with where they're meant to go? Well, here's what alignment feels like and looks like: it you go to bed without anxiety and you wake up without anxiety. You're excited for what the day will bring. You're faithful and you have certainty. You trust that when things aren't working out, that something better is on the way. You are solution-oriented. You're seeking solutions rather than problems. Your relationships work with ease. You don't have trouble asking for what you need. And you feel a synchronistic energy as if there's an invisible guidance system supporting you. And everyone might be thinking, wow, that sounds really great. And I don't have that. Well, that's probably true because most people don't live in a place of alignment. <laughs> and for me, it's taken me nine books writing about it to, and living it completely, being on a devotional spiritual path for the past 16 years in my sobriety to finally get to a place where I'm truly living in alignment. And it doesn't mean that there weren't moments of relief and there weren't miraculous experiences along the way, but I lived with a lot of resistance for the majority of my career as a spiritual teacher. I lived with a lot of unresolved trauma, unresolved PTSD and anxiety, and one step at a time, chipping away and chipping away, I've led myself to a place of alignment today. So the, the answer is, don't beat yourself up if you notice you're not in alignment. Most people are not because we have a lot of obstacles that are in the way. But by picking up a spiritual self-help book, by entering a 12-step room, by joining a therapy session or whatever it is that you make as your commitment to feel better, you're every moment getting closer to that place of alignment. And it's available to all of us. The metaphysical text, of course, in Miracles has this beautiful line, which is, you can live in the world, but think with the thoughts of heaven. And I'm, and it's called the happy dream. You're living here and you're having a happy dream. And you can dream your own dream. You're the dreamer of your dream. There is a potential life that's far easier than the one you might be living. And so if you're listening to this podcast right now, that's a sign that you're looking for something new, that you're wanting to feel better, and you're ready to take the next right action. And that could be going to listen to the next podcast that Doug's done or to going to reach out to a friend who knows that yoga class or read a self-help book or whatever it is, the small steps are what get us there. So we're all in the pursuit of feeling good and we can get there one step at a time. Yeah, you're so right. And I think one of the things that holds people back is fear, especially like in early recovery, they, people go and they see these people who have 20 years in recovery, 25 years or um, 30 years or two months. And, but yet they can't, they haven't even been able to, been able to stack together like two days of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm-hmm. how am I ever going to get two years? And then they mm-hmm. end up going back into the same patterns because the fear of, of going forward, it, it becomes so overwhelming that it's easier just to go back into those same patterns. So like just imagine somebody comes up to you in a coffee shop or they run into you somewhere in New York and they're like, Gabby, I am just so afraid of taking that leap of faith. I am so afraid of taking that first step in, in any kind of change that they're trying to make in their life, whether it's getting that job, leaving a relationship, getting into recovery. What are some easy steps someone can take to to transition from living um, with fear into faith? Well, 
I'll repeat what one of my sober friends said to me. This guy had 20 years when I was counting days. And I was like, how did you get there? And he said to me, lots of little right actions. That changed me forever. It helped me realize I didn't have to get there overnight. So I just focused and committed my life to the daily right actions towards feeling better every single day. And I stayed in the progress rather than perfection. And as they say in the 12 steps, I kept it in the day, one day at a time. And I'll tell you, it fucking works. (laughs) Like if you just keep it in the day and you focus on what can I do today to feel relief? What can I do today to, to be of service to myself and others? What can I do today to stay clean? Whatever it is that you focus on that day is exactly what needs to happen. Because the second you start future tripping into how am I going to get there, that's when you fall backwards, like you said. So taking lots of small right actions towards that bigger dream. Mm, I love that. And, and I think that for people listening to this, just remember, like you, you can't, and I say this a lot, you can't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20, right? You no got to just way. focus on, on where you're at and, and just do everything you possibly freaking can to, to stay in alignment with, with where you want to go and make those decisions based on that alignment to become the better, a better version of yourself today, a better version of yourself tomorrow and so on and so forth. And that gives you a really good shot at reaching your dreams. It, it might not guarantee it, but it's certainly gives you a shot. Whereas if you don't do that and you continue to make those poor decisions, it guarantees you that you won't get there. So hopefully you enjoyed this masterclass on how to heal from trauma with Dr. Nicole LaPera, Dr. Shafali, and Gabby Bernstein. And what I'd like you to do is to take a screenshot and share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Dr. Nicole LaPera said. Maybe it was something that Dr. Shafali said, or maybe it was something that Gabby Bernstein said, whatever it was, take a screenshot, tag them, tag myself, We'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.